This morning, we're opening our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you brought a Bible with you, I would certainly encourage you to open it to Luke chapter 1. You're also more than welcome to read these words as they're printed on the screen behind me. I just want to alert you to something very important, something I really delight in this time of year. When you came in, you received a bulletin, I hope. You'll notice that this is not the typical bulletin cover that we have during the rest of the year. During the Advent season, we ask artists in our church to create bulletin covers that connect with the passages that we'll be preaching on on these Advent Sundays. And so this morning's bulletin cover says, He will be great from Luke 1 verse 32, the passage I'll be preaching on in just a moment. And that cover was created by Gloria Ostema, and we're very, very thankful for her talent. So please pay attention, look forward to these other bulletin covers that help lead us to a consideration of the Word of God. We're very grateful for the talent God has given our church, and we rejoice to see it used in this way. So let's turn our attention, shall we, now to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. We're going to be reading each one of these verses. I just want to alert you that I'll be focusing on the words that the angel says to Mary in verses 31 through 33. So when we get to that point, just note those will be the words that I will focus on. Let's begin at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of God. May he bless it this morning as I proclaim it to you. I hope you've had the opportunity to see one of these old films by John Wayne. It's called In the Sands of Iwo Jima. If you've seen that film created in the 1940s, you know that John Wayne plays the part of Sergeant Stryker, a hard-nosed sergeant. He whips his men into shape before they head off for the battlefield. And then the story goes through at least two battles that his men face. And all the way along, John Wayne is the hero of the story. He throws munitions into the pillbox to destroy the enemy. He knows when to charge ahead and when to wait. He is undoubtedly a hero. You don't know just from this particular movie a hero. You see uh, movies and books of all sorts that talk about heroes. Maybe you read about heroes in your Marvel comics. Maybe you read Hamlet. 
Maybe you love history and you've read about Abraham Lincoln. Why do we love larger-than-life politicians? It's because they're heroes. And as one man has said very accurately, the human heart longs for heroes. We all long for those heroes. We have that innate desire for someone who is greater than we are, someone who can help us and lead us. And if I were to say this morning to you that Jesus Christ is a hero, you might think to yourself, I'm minimizing his importance, and perhaps I would be, because Jesus is no John Wayne. Jesus is not simply another political figure like Abraham Lincoln. I am not saying he is simply another hero. I am saying what the human heart longs for, that is, someone who is greater than we are, who is able and willing to help us. There is no one in all of the world like Jesus in his ability and willingness to do that. And as we enter our Christmas season, I want you to think through this passage with me. In fact, even the ones after this morning in Luke 1 and 2, as passages that were written to people who were longing for hope. They were looking for someone who was greater than they were and somebody who was willing and compassionate in his ability to help. And Jesus fulfills that longing, that longing that exists in my heart and in your heart and in the heart of humanity, that longing for someone who's greater than we are who can give us the help that we need. That's Jesus. And that is exactly what the angel Gabriel says to Mary in verses 31 through 33 of this passage. There are two ways he explains that. The first is by telling us who Jesus is, and then secondly, what Jesus does. If you're thinking with me about who Jesus is, I want you to look at verses 31 and 32 into verse 33 again. I'm going to read it to make sure you don't miss it. It says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, there are three things in what the angel says to Mary that tells us who Jesus is, that he is this one who's greater than we are, who can give us the help that our hearts long for. The first comes in this description of Jesus with the simple word, you will call his name Jesus. Now, automatically in my mind, when I hear the name Jesus, I want to repeat what Matthew says in chapter 1, verse 21. There, the gospel writer records, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But in the Gospel of Luke, we don't read these words. It's not because the angel didn't say them, but because Luke doesn't record them. He has a different point he's trying to make. In fact, the name Jesus in the Gospel of Luke receives very little attention at this point. It might be helpful for you to know that at the time this was written, there were many Jesuses walking around in Israel. Jesus was simply the Old Testament or the New Testament version of the Old Testament Joshua. And just as we read about a number of Joshua's in the Old Testament, so there would have been a number of Jesus's at the time the angel was speaking. 
And so the narrative, the story here, is not focusing simply on the name Jesus. The emphasis is somewhere else, and that comes in the following verses. The first thing that the angel emphasizes is that Jesus will be great, he says. He will be great. Now that's the sort of language that we sort of banter around very easily, isn't it? Someone is great. Or I might say the turkey I had at Thanksgiving was great, even awesome. It can sound like hyperbole, perhaps, in our minds. But the writer here is not speaking in terms of hyperbole. He means legitimately that this child will be great. And not simply great in the way that other characters in the Bible are great. For example, in chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist is called great. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 11, verse 3, Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, is called great. But again, this Jesus is not great like everyone else is great. No, here in this place, the angel Gabriel seems to be referring to Micah chapter 5, verse 4, where in the prophecy of this great prophet of the Old Testament, he foretells a time in which the coming Davidic figure would be great from the ends of the earth. Micah is saying that the one who is coming is not merely someone who is great and well-known and powerful. He is saying the greatness of the one who is coming, this Jesus, is going to be greater even than David himself. He was not only great in Israel, But this Jesus will be great to the ends of the earth. And in that way, the angel Gabriel is saying he's not merely Moses. He's greater than John the Baptist. He's not even as great as David. He is far greater than any of them. He is worldwide great. Again, I don't mean to speak in a way that sounds perhaps like we hear in political speech. He was great. I will be great. I mean it in the most serious sense. The angel is emphasizing how powerful, how wonderful, how amazing this child will be. The second thing he says is that he will be called Son of the Most High. Again, in this place, the angel is emphasizing a connection to a description in the Old Testament. There are places in the Old Testament where human beings are described as sons of the Most High. For example, in Psalm 82, verse 6, the psalmist says, you are sons of the Most High. But in this place, the angel Gabriel is pulling on something that is more than an ordinary description in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, God promises to a future descendant of David, that I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. It is this sort of particular relationship that Gabriel is telling Mary that her child will possess to the Most High God. This child is more than a mere human being. He is the fulfillment of a promise that has lasted for generations. He is the final fulfillment of that promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel. Or to put it this way, the angel saying to Mary, here he is. This is the one. 
He is great, so great that he can legitimately call, be called the Son of the Most High in the way that God spoke in 2 Samuel chapter 7. I almost feel as though words are failing in my attempt to emphasize the greatness, the uniqueness of what Gabriel is saying to Mary about Jesus. It almost feels as though this feels routine, like you've heard this before. Like this might not be the first time you've heard it, but you've heard it a hundred times before. Can you try to clear away the space in your mind and hear this new? If you can imagine your mind like a chalkboard, that dates me, I understand, a whiteboard, and you're wiping that whiteboard clear, clean, removing from your mind sort of the normalcy of what I'm saying, and write on that board in your mind, Jesus is great like no one else. Jesus is Son of God like no one else. That's what the angel is saying. The third thing that the angel says about who this Jesus is is perhaps the most impressive and specific of all. He says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Gabriel is saying that Jesus will be a king like no one else. You have to appreciate when verse 27 opens, the verse that I began reading with you this morning, Gabriel is coming to a relatively small village a number of miles, perhaps 50 miles or so from Jerusalem. He is coming to a young woman who is probably known by very few people. It's a relatively unimportant village to an unimportant woman. And it is to this woman, sort of an unimpressive setting, that he brings this great news that the child that she will bear will be like anyone else. He will be great, he will be son of the Most High, and he will reign from the throne of David. This sort of reigning is a reoccurring theme in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 69, a little later in this chapter, refers to David's house in Zechariah's prayer of thanksgiving. The birth narrative in chapter 2 that we'll think about in some later sermons talks about Jesus being born in the city of David and being a member of David's house David is at the center of the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 3, verse 31. David is a prominent character in the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke. But the question you might ask yourself is why? Why is David so prominent? Why does it matter so much? And why would I say this is perhaps the most impressive of all the things that Gabriel says about Jesus, that he will reign as a descendant of David and sit on his throne? In order to understand the impressive nature of that, I want you to think for just a moment about the expectation attached to the house of David in the Old Testament. The Israelites understood that David was the greatest of the Old Testament kings, as impressive as Solomon was in his wealth, or Hezekiah in his military exploits, there was no one like David. David was the king of all of the Old Testament kings. 
And after David died, the Israelites endured many generations and many kings who were far less than David was. You might say they had generations of disappointments. They had terrible kings, political rulers, but they also had horrible religious leaders. There was rebellion, there was war, and then there was captivity. And you can imagine the Israelites sighing within themselves, wondering, where is our help going to come from? When will the son of David arrive? When will 2 Samuel 7 verse 14, when will that finally be fulfilled? And while they waited, we read in other places in the scriptures that they placed their confidence, their hopes in other people beside the coming king. Maybe it was another human king. Maybe it was in other world powers. Maybe it was in some other great force that they believed could deliver them and help them. And over and over and over the story of the Old Testament that precedes what we're reading here in the Gospel of Luke is a story of disappointment. Rather than trusting in God and the coming of the Messiah, instead they looked all over the, all, all over the world to other sources of comfort and hope. Until we read the angel Gabriel saying to Mary, the son of David has arrived. It's hard for me to overestimate for you this morning how significant these words would have been to the listeners of Luke's gospel. If I can just say something very simply to the children, many of you are perhaps already anticipating what you will receive at Christmas. I want you to put in your mind all those things that you're hoping for, the grandest possible thing, the thing that would exceed your wildest imagination. Maybe your parents actually buy you a horse. <laughs> and you think that would be the greatest possible Christmas presents. That pales in comparison to what we're talking about in this message from the angel Gabriel. This who of who Jesus is is more than just a mere human being. He is more than just another king. No, he is a fulfillment of the expectation of his people for one who is greater than they are and yet one who can offer them genuine hope. Perhaps I need to say something to the adults. Maybe that would be perhaps more fitting in this case. I don't want you to think about the Christmas presents you're anticipating I want you to think about where you place your hope, where you place your sense of where your hope will come from. Maybe it is literally in another person. You've placed your hope in some political leader or perhaps a spouse or a friend. Maybe your hope is placed in your ability to care for yourself, your money, your power, your prestige. Maybe your hope is in your fighting spirit. I've just got to press ahead. I can do it for myself. Do you realize that that hope is dashed over and over and over again? That as much as you might hope in someone else or yourself, that hope is never fully realized? It's like the child who wakes up on Christmas morning and tears open the packages and by later that afternoon looks at all the things that he or she has received and thinks, and is this all? Is this it? Is this really the fulfillment of my expectations? 
What I'm here to tell you this morning is that it isn't. Those things, all of those things, whether possession or power of people, all of those things will fall short of meeting the expectation you have for genuine hope. Which leads me this morning to tell you in the final verse of the words of Gabriel to Mary what Jesus does. Verse 33 says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. you notice that the angel says two things. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Both of those phrases are limitless. Both of those phrases are meant to emphasize to you, first, the care that this king would bring. He would reign over the house of Jacob, the people who lived in anticipation of one who was coming, who looked around and said, there is no one who's fulfilled the hope that I long for. Who is it going to be? Gabriel says, he perhaps whispered, but I will say it, not shout it. I want to shout it. Jesus is him. Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus is the one who meets the hope and the expectation that we wrongly place in others. Jesus can bear your expectation, my friend, unlike anyone else can. And when Gabriel says to Mary, he will reign over the house of Jacob, he is saying he will reign over the house of of the people of God forever. There's no end to it. There's no limit. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. I can't help but think as I'm talking to you this morning that when I was in high school, I also had a hero. <laughs> Please don't laugh when I say this. My hero was Kirby Puckett who played center field for the Minnesota Twins. He was about five foot six, rather round. He defied every expectation in terms of what a major league player looked like. But he led the Twins to two World Series, 86 and 91. When I looked at him, I thought to myself, if this little round man could play in the major leagues, me as a tall, skinny kid who's very uncoordinated and can barely hit a baseball, I can do great things too. But do you realize there came a point in 1996 where Kirby Puckett went to spring training and he lost his eyesight. One eye, he couldn't see anymore. He was gone. Four surgeries later, still couldn't see. His career was over. A few years later, he was accused of domestic violence. A few years after that, of assaulting a woman in a bathroom. And just a few years after that, Kirby Puckett died. Kirby Puckett did not go on forever. As much as I placed my hope that I could be like him, that he could help me and meet the need that I had to be someone great, he failed. And every hero that we erect in our hearts, hoping that someone will care for us and meet the need that we have, will also fail. They cannot go on forever. 
they are limited. Only Jesus is limitless. Only Jesus cares for you, not just now, but tomorrow and forever. Only Jesus is a kingdom that will never end. Embodied within this forever and will never end, this kingdom is a very important idea that I want to make very clear to you. When Gabriel says this to Mary, he is emphasizing to her that this Jesus is more than just a human being. Human beings and every single one of them has. There are minor exceptions with a few people in the Scriptures, but when it comes to our experience, every single one of us who is sitting in this place, everyone who's listening to my voice, your time is going to end. And when the angel says to Mary, his kingdom will last forever, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, there will be no end, he is Building her expectation, and she understands, as we'll read in further passages, that the baby that she is to be that she will bear, that she will give birth to, is not simply another Joshua, not simply another Jesus. He is in fact divine. And the reason I emphasize that to you this morning is because all of us have this sneaking suspicion. That if there's someone who's really that great, someone who is the Son of God, someone whose kingdom shall never end, what in the world would someone who's so great and so powerful, someone who is God himself with all that moral perfection, what would that divine being want with me? One of the things that the incarnation may communicate to you is a sense that your God is so holy and so great and so set apart that there is no connection between you and this God. In fact, many world religions emphasize the greatness of the divine, the superiority of the divine, so that there is very little relationship between the divine and the human, but not Jesus No, the very fact of the incarnation means that our Savior came to us. We did not ascend into heaven and bring Him down. No, the Bible says He came down to us in all of His greatness to be here to help us even though He is far greater than we are. To put it in the language that I've been using this morning, It is not only that we have one who's greater than us who can help us, but we have one who is greater than us who can help us and is gracious to us when he comes. We are in our lives very familiar with being disappointed. Again, perhaps some of us will be disappointed when we open our Christmas gifts. Others will be disappointed in this time of year that the kids didn't come back home and their excuses were rather shallow. Others will get to the new year, look back at Christmas, and feel like it was a lot less than we had hoped it would be. 
But this morning and the first Sunday that we anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you hope in something that you will never, never be disappointed in. In the incarnation, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is great and powerful, perfect, holy, majestic, God Himself. But in His grace, He comes to us to help us. To the very point, the Scripture says that He laid down His life for you. That is, my friend, great Christmas hope. Let's bow in prayer. Father, there are many places in our lives where we are looking for hope that never seems to be fulfilled. Maybe we place that hope, expectation on the spouse or a friend and they have failed. Maybe we're looking to a political leader. Maybe we're looking to a power that we possess or some kind of possession. Lord, in every one of these places, we sense that disappointment because there's no one like Jesus. There's no one who can genuinely possess the power with the ability to care and to offer it to us graciously like our Savior. Which means there is no one who is listening to my voice, who is beyond the stretch of our Savior's hand. No matter what we have done, where we have come from, no matter how fragile we might be, no matter how rebellious we have been in the past, the message of the incarnation is that Jesus has come to save sinners like us. And we pray both in our meditation on this passage as we go home, as well as the messages that we hear in coming weeks anticipating the day that we celebrate Jesus' birth would be filled with deep and rich in genuine hope. Father, we look to you for that. And we're thankful for the way you've given it to to us this morning. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.